Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The parasha for this week, as read in synagogues throughout North American Israel, is called Vayeshev, and he settled there. The parasha begins by telling us that uh, the descendants of Jacob have settled in the land, and this begins the four-part Torah portion regarding Joseph and his brothers. Most of the stories in this week's parasha and the subsequent parashiot are well known to listeners of this show and many who are readers of the Hebrew scriptures. But here's a synopsis so you know how much of the story is covered in this week's parasha. Joseph was 17 and a shepherd watching sheep with his brothers. In an evil manner, Joseph reported his brother's idle chatting to his father, but the text tells us that Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons and made him an embroidered coat. This is what is known in Western civilization as the coat of many colors. When the brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more, they hated him. The text goes on to tell us that Joseph dreamed a dream, and the brothers did not want to hear the dream and hated him even more. But Joseph said to them, Please listen to this dream. We're piling up wheat in the middle of the field, and my wheat pile arose, stood upright, and your wheat piles formed a circle around me and bowed down. Are you to become king over us, asked the brothers hatefully, or perhaps do you rule over us already? A little foreshadowing of what will happen in future parashiot. Then Joseph dreamed another dream and told it to his fathers and brothers. The sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. He said, his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this? Shall I, your mother and your brothers, come to bow to the ground before you? His brothers now envied him and his father kept the matter in mind. Later on in the parasha, the brothers leave their father's home to look after the flocks, and Jacob sends Joseph to check on them. He found his brothers, but as he approached, they imagined Joseph plotting against them and believed he deserved to die. They said to one another, quoting from the text, Behold, here comes the master of dreams. Come, let us kill him. Let us throw him into the pit and say that the wild beast ate him. Then we shall see what becomes of his dreams. Reuben, the eldest son, heard this and rescued Joseph from his, their hands. Reuben said, Do not spill any blood. Throw him into the pit, but do not lay a hand on him. Reuben left planning to return later and bring Joseph back to his father, though that's not written specifically in the text. That's the implication of the Hebrew text. Once Reuben had left, the brother seized Joseph, taking his coat and throwing him into an empty, waterless pit. Suddenly, a caravan of Yishmaelites came on the horizon. They were going to Egypt. 
So Judah said to the others, hey, let's sell him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh. For 20 pieces of silver, Joseph was sold to the caravan going to Egypt. When Reuben returned and saw Joseph was gone, he tore his clothes in mourning. Then they decided to slaughter a goat and dip Joseph's coat in the blood. They returned home and Jacob recognized Joseph's coat immediately. He, the father, tore his clothes in mourning as he had learned of the wild beast tearing his son apart. And everyone tried to console Jacob, but he refused to accept consolation, saying, as it's written in the text, for I will go down to my son mourning into the grave. Meanwhile, this section of the Torah portion ends with Joseph being sold to Potiphar, the chief of the cooks for the Egyptian pharaoh. The Torah portion takes a radical turn at this point. Judah, who had the idea to sell Joseph, removed himself from his brothers and married into another land. He became father to many children. His firstborn heir married a woman whose name was Tamar. The text tells us that heir was evil in the eyes of God, and God caused him to die. It doesn't tell us what he did and what his sin was. The second son was also displeasing in the eyes of God, and God caused him to die. Yehuda then decided Tamar would stay with them, and he would give her his youngest son in marriage, following the Levitical statement of the Leverite marriage. When Judah does not follow through on his promise, Tamar goes out one nice dress like a widow, she sat waiting for Yehuda to come home from shearing sheep. Mistaking Tamar for a prostitute rather than his daughter-in-law, Yehuda is intimate with Tamar and she conceives their child. Later this is discovered and he orders her to be burned, not realizing that she is the prostitute with whom he was intimate until she shows him the gifts that he had given her. Judah recognizes them, saying, Tamar is more righteous than I because I did not give her my youngest son, which I had promised. Yehuda did not even become, ever become intimate with Tamar again, but there were twins in her womb. The text now returns to our primary story. It tells us that Joseph was flourishing with God's help under Potiphar in Egypt, and he became personal servant and overseer of all of Potiphar's property. Then, of course, the famous interaction between Joseph and Potiphar's wife, which leads Joseph to jail. And there again, we have another set of dreams. In this case, um, Joseph says... Upon hearing the dreams of the butler and baker, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell it to me. And he therefore interprets uh, that which is to be the second and third, the third and fourth set of dreams. And of course, this week's parashah uh, ends with people being sent to... Uh, jail, 
and the chief of the bakers was hung, as Joseph predicted, but the chief of butlers did not remember Joseph and forgot him. So much in this week's parasha. To join me in discussing the parasha is Rabbi Daniel Michaelberg. Rabbi Michaelberg was born and grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and he completed his religious studies at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in Los Angeles and was ordained a rabbi in May 2008. After his ordination, Rabbi Michael Berg had the unique opportunity to return to his home congregation in Vancouver as an assistant rabbi. In 2011, he became the associate rabbi of Temple Sinai Congregation of Toronto, and for the past seven months has been the rabbi, senior rabbi of Temple Israel in Ottawa, Canada. He is known for his work with young people, and he is quite articulate about the power of the Torah in making individual Jewish lives significantly enriched. Welcome, Rabbi Michael Berg, to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here, Rabbi Gardner. Um, we are going to chat about a very interesting section of this week's parasha, um, which can be found for our listeners in Genesis 37, verse 18 through 24. And for those who are listening who may not have a copy of either the Hebrew text or an English translation of it, let me read a bit of it to you from these six verses. Um, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the, the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured them. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams." When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Reuben said, let, not, let us not take his life. And he said, don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father's. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And you suggested that within these six verses was something that very much interested you and you wanted to share with our listeners. So let's begin with what amongst these verses captured your imagination? I, I, I think this, uh, this passage really demonstrates one of the reasons why I love Torah, is that we can really see the humanity of the, uh, of the characters within, both the aspects that we admire, but also the aspects that we really struggle with. And I, I thought it'd be interesting for us to look particularly at the eldest brother, um, to look at Reuben. Because our tendency is to look at all these brothers and to really witness them as a, as a mob and witness them as being quite wicked. 
Um, but we're challenged to recognize that each of them have their own individual personalities, and, uh, and each of them demand our attention. And so here we have Ruben, who on the one hand, uh, we could witness as being part of his uh, collective uh, brothers who are, uh, who are going after Joseph. Um, we could also see him as a defender of his younger brother, um, calling out to, uh, to even uh, protect him, to save him, to make sure that his brothers don't go as far as they, um, as they hope to. And so we're really presented with this challenge that is Reuben a hero of sorts, um, or is he another foe, uh, really just demanding uh, wicked acts against his, uh, against his brother? So Reuben is the son of whom? Um, Rabbi, I'm going to look to you for that. Reuben will be the son of Leah, right? <laughs> That's right. So Reuben is the son of Leah, and Joseph is the son of Rachel. Oh, yeah. So they have different mothers, but the same father. There's certainly in the text some suggestion that the brothers um, have a little rivalry amongst themselves based on who their mothers are and where they are in the birth order. So do you have a sense um, in your own studies about why Reuven stands up as a uh, hero, even though this is a brother of another mother and this is the dreamer that all the brothers seem to have some um, trouble with um, in his uh, dreams of suggesting that he is going to be better than they are. Um, do you have a sense of why he might stand up? Sure. So, so why don't I first uh, speak to the topic of sibling rivalry? Great. Uh, because this actually isn't the first time that we've, uh, that we've witnessed uh, brothers not getting along. Uh, first, so we saw with, uh, with Cain and Abel. Uh, more recently, we saw this with uh, with Jacob and uh, with Esau, and now here we have again these uh, these brothers struggling with one another, and even more complicated when it's not one brother struggling with the other, it, it's in fact twelve brothers <laughs> all struggling uh, with competing interests. You know, as I read this, I uh, I think it's quite sad because on the one hand, when we think about the relationships we have with our siblings, we share more with them than we do with any other people in the world. But on the other hand, uh, needless to say, uh, there are things that, uh, uh, things that are their causes uh, for, us to, uh, for us to struggle, uh, perhaps competing for the same, uh, for the same blessing, um, perhaps struggling with matters of jealousy or, uh, or insecurities. Uh, so here, once again, we see, these, uh, we see these struggles. And actually, we also see a paradigm of the eldest sibling, in this case Reuben, struggling with the younger sibling, in this case Joseph, um, who is perceived to be favored um, in ways that he's not. So why does, uh, why does Reuben um, act the way he does? Well, I think there were probably unique responsibilities that were placed on him as the oldest child. Are you an eldest uh, child, Bergard? I, I am, actually. An uh, I'm an eldest child, child, too, so perhaps we can relate with Reuben more than we can relate with, uh, with Joseph. Um, you know, as we think about being the eldest, you know, the tendency is to think older and wiser 
in that uh, living longer, we've experienced more, perhaps we know more, but also we're looked to um, in terms of being held more accountable. And that when things go wrong, the, the blame can tends to be directed our way. And perhaps we could have done more to, uh, to address the situation before us. Perhaps here Ruben really fears that uh, as a result of this big mess, uh, it's all going to be put on his shoulders. And, uh, and so it's up to him to, uh, to really navigate a way to uh, recognize the anger of his brothers, but also show mercy uh, towards his uh, brother Joseph. Well, you know, you've raised an interesting uh, issue here about the firstborn. Reuben is, as you suggest, the firstborn. But throughout the episodes of the patriarchs, the firstborn um, is really kind of uh, marginalized by the text. Um, Ishmael turns out to be the firstborn, and he does not become the progenitor of the covenant. Esau is the firstborn, and he isn't the progenitor of the covenant. And now the firstborn of Jacob, the last of the patriarchs, is going to be Reuven. But in an interesting way, it's the, the lastborn, Joseph, who becomes the individual that we most look at for saving the Jewish people and continuity of the covenant. Um, and in this case, you've suggested that Reuven acts as if he's the firstborn, and we'll see more of him later in the uh, story. But for this purpose, he takes the role of the firstborn unlike any other firstborn in the story of the patriarchs. Do you have a sense of how that has uh, transpired or why that's transpired? So it's really messy. And I think that's part of the beauty of our text. And then I, uh, you know, we live in a world that likes to think that things are so clear, uh, right or wrong, uh, black or white, oldest or youngest. And in the ancient Near East, perhaps they like to see this, that, uh, that uh, you know, it would be the eldest child that had all these responsibilities and rights. But here, once again, in this story of the siblings struggling, uh, we witness that things actually are, are, are much more messier, um, that it's not so clear-cut. And even here with my initial question, as Reuben hero or foe, we witness that, okay, that there are things that, uh, that Reuben does that, I don't know if I'd use the word heroic, but that we could admire. But there are also things here where we would imagine that he would regret, um, as we know later on in the story, when the brothers will finally be able to come to amends. Right. And that helps me reflect on each of our own narratives. When there are places where we've triumphed and places where we've done really well, but there are also lots of places where we regret and we wish we could have done otherwise. And so as we witness this story here of, uh, of Reuben, um, you know, I really see a troubled soul who uh, is, is really tortured by feelings of insecurities, um, but at the same time recognizing the responsibilities before him. And we uh, and we we witness a, a key milestone in his narrative, in this uh, in this uh, sorrowful event with his brother. So you really see Reuben's humanity here. I, I, absolutely, perhaps more so than the other brothers. I see him as trying to navigate a pathway to we read shed no blood, 
And, you know, I really read that as being, maybe I could come back after this and rescue him and take him out of the pit and make sure that, uh, that our rage um, doesn't get the best of us in this, uh, in this key moment. Wow, it's an interesting uh, dynamic that you've suggested that our listeners consider. In, in one sense, the text um, is often read as presenting us with archetypal people. But you're suggesting that the archetypal individuals of the early uh, books like Genesis are uh, offering us a mirror from which, into which the reader can see themselves. So rather than a purely heroic figure, we look in the mirror, as you perhaps have intimated, and see ourselves there, that we too are both heroic, but challenged to do right and wrong, and that events sometimes overtake us. Um, it's kind of an unusual, it's certainly not a literal, literal reading of the text. And I, I would take that even farther to say that this is an extreme example. That, uh, you know, as we think about our relations with our siblings, hopefully none of us ever get close to the, uh, the, the illustration described. But in our everyday world, every day we, uh, we face choices. We, uh, what words do we choose? What acts do we uh, portray? Um, and more often than not, they're not good or bad. Uh, rather, they're real and, and, and complicated. And so we're really challenged in this to be the best that we can be, um, even when we're facing um, the ultimate challenges before us. So I want to just um, take uh, a few moments to turn from this interesting analysis of Rubin um, and go back to the beginning of this episode. Joseph. Uh, of, yes, not to the very beginning, but the um, verse 12 of chapter uh, 37, which is when Jacob sends Joseph to find his brothers. The text is not very clear as to why he does this. Um, he says, uh, I'm going to send you Jacob says, I'm going to send you to see your brothers. And prior to this in the text, there have been all these dream interpretations, and it's uh, clear that the brothers and Joseph don't have a uh, relationship that one would want to uh, uh, copy. And then Joseph is wandering, and the text tells us that he arrives at Shem, and a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? And the man, unidentified of who he is, says they have moved on from here. The man answered, I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So it appears from the text, Joseph is lost and there's an intervention from an unknown source which harkens back to some of the issues with Jacob wrestling with his also an unnamed source. Um, and lo and behold, it's that intervention which leads Joseph to the meeting with his brothers, this infamous episode that you've so wonderfully uh, explicated. So what's the role in the text of these few verses? Why doesn't the text just say, Joseph found his brothers? 
I, uh, I, I think you said it when you uh, implied that Joseph is trying to find his way, but Joseph is lost. And uh, we've been spending time looking at Reuben, but just as important, we're called to look at Joseph. And Joseph is often portrayed as the victim, uh, you know, as his brothers taunt him, as they push him in the pit. Uh, but Joseph is also a complicated fellow. And that uh, Joseph here is the favorite, that he receives the love of his, uh, his parents. Uh, but we could also imagine uh, it puts him in a difficult position in terms of where does he fit and how does he navigate this pathway forward? How does he relate uh, to his brothers? How does he put less focus on the me and instead witnessing the we um, that they share together? And so here he is in this, uh, in this vignette, lost um, and trying to find his way. And, uh, and he's pointed in the direction to, uh, to find his brothers. As we can imagine, he really longed to connect, to, uh, connect with them um, in a special way, uh, finding that um, sense of brotherhood, that sense of companionship that we would imagine he would have longed. There's a real similarity between this episode and the episode that transpires in a previous parasha between Jacob and his brother. Yes. Jacob and Esau have had a falling out, that's to put it uh, mildly. Jacob is now uh, on his way to meet his brother, but he seems to be uh, reticent and unsure of how he's going to make up for the past. And so the episode that uh, is familiar to most uh, readers of the text, both in Hebrew and English, is that he lies down for the evening and wrestles with an unknown individual, which certainly can be interpreted as wrestling with himself, and awakes from that um, recognizing the struggle that's within him, and he goes on to meet his uh, brother Esau, in which they have a rapprochement, and the rapprochement is so good and so well taken that at the end of the story, uh, Esau and Jacob will meet again at their father's funeral, uh, very much mirroring what happens with uh, Abraham and Ishmael. Um, so you've really led us into examining uh, these parallel stories with some interesting psychological insight, not necessarily relying on the uh, commentators of antiquity, but looking at them from more humanistic perspective. Um, I want to thank you for that. Do you have any last words about Joseph? Well, so I tell you, I, I, as you share the story about uh, Jacob and Esau and, and Joseph and his brothers, so we have the luxury of knowing how the story ends um, and knowing that while uh, they will spend you know, a generation apart, they'll find their way back together um, in the end. And that, uh, you know, that's sad that it takes all that time and yet beautiful that we know uh, in the end they'll come home. And so I, I think for all of us out there with our many siblings, uh, you know, it really speaks to the friction that we may feel um, day to day, but really call on us to put that aside and recognize how much that we share and uh, to really find the pathway together now so it doesn't have to be that generation uh, in, in the future when we, uh, when we find our way back. 
Well, Rabbi Michael Berg, I want to thank you for being my guest this morning. Our guest this morning on Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts has been Rabbi Daniel Michael Berg of Temple Israel of Ottawa. You can hear a rebroadcast of this show as a podcast on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. You can also send a question to the website at jff at chri.ca. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you shalom and a good day. Oh.